We do have a ton to get through in this episode. Common sense is finally prevailing. There was controversy this month, Dave. I'm not particularly excited by that. Secrets and things on set. I haven't told them anything. I think this is just good times all round. Every Doctor Who is liked by somebody and that's a really good thing. Davo, my Doctor. I know we disagree on this one. First world problems, Dave. I get why fans are asking those questions. Oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. It doesn't compute. It's the elephant in the room. That's okay. Fandom versus the BBC. The cardinal sin. Moving along. Lunch. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Who Show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is our flagship episode for the month of June 2022. It is the depths of winter here, but that's fine. We're going to snuggle up with some Doctor Who baddies. Rob, how are you? I am very well, Dave. I am I'm quite chilly tonight myself. We have these lovely days that are about 15, 16 degrees. Must seem like heaven to people overseas, but that's winter for us in Sydney. But the mornings are freezing. Yes, look, I have been abusing myself on Twitter, watching a number of our listeners and friends in the UK going, oh my my God, it is so hot I can't function, and it's like 22. <laughs> so in return, we can go, it's the, it's the depths of winter, and it's like 10, you know, you know, nothing nothing really serious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How have you been? I've been very well. I've, I've, I've been looking forward to recording this episode, I can say that. Yeah, a, a lot of things to discuss here, some news, some short topics, and then, mm-hmm. of course, our topic for the month, which is baddies we want to bring back. Mm-hmm. And we've left that as general and as open as we could. And we've got a fairly wide-ranging discussion to have, I think. We do. My notes are in front of me. Well, that's convenient because mine are too. <laughs> well, to be clear, my notes are in front of me. Your notes are not in front of me. No, I have no idea what you've picked. No, because if I had your notes in front of me, that would mean we'd be saying the same thing twice. And that's not really how we do the podcast. But mm. something we do do on the podcast, Rob, is that... If we get any reviews, we read them out at the top of the show. Have we got any for this month? We have two this month, Dave. Fantastic. It's been a bumper couple of months. It has. People are really getting on board with this, and thank you very much. It genuinely helps the podcast to reach new people, so so thank you for doing this. Yes. The first one is called Very Enjoyable, five stars from Joe Castles in Great Britain. This was left on the 7th of June. He says... I found myself coming back to the show more and more. Rob and Dave are amiable hosts and they often have something interesting and incisive to say. I don't always agree with them, but then they don't always agree with each other. In fact, one of the things that makes this such an enjoyable listen is that they are masters of the art of disagreeing nicely. This is something that more people need to learn how to do, especially when it comes to matters of personal opinion or taste. There's enough conflict in the world as it is. There's no need for people with common interests to tear lumps off one another because their opinions don't always align. Thanks to Rob and Dave for showing the rest of us how to be fans. Well, that is a lovely review. Thank you for that, Joe. And I must admit, when this review came through and Rob sent it to me, I I did send a message back and say, I'm... I'm a little concerned slash curious now about what happens on some other podcasts where they, they don't agree, you know, do they just argue all the time? I couldn't imagine it, but oh dear. Yeah, do they do they rage quit on each other and <laughs> that's the end of the show for that week or what happens? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, no, there you go. The second one is called Just a Complete Joy, five stars from at Who Won Universal on Twitter. Thank you again from Great Britain. This was left on the 12th of June. I've tried a lot of podcasts, but Rob and Dave are the best at making you feel as though you are sitting in a room with them. Not a chore, 
just a great delight. It's like having great friends over for a cuppa and a nerdy chat. Being huge fans of a certain age, they are respectful of the show and are never mean or trashy about certain eras. They are frank and honest and often share a difference of opinion, but they show fans it's healthy to have this, which is admirable and something that a lot of fans these days should take heed of. You really do get a sense for the passion and love they both have for the show in its entirety. It's refreshing in this day and age where most podcasters and reviewers use a 50-50 method through fear of upsetting folk. These guys are just honest and funny and a complete joy. Well, thank you very much, Who Won Universal. That's very, very kind. And I hope that you find that uh, today's show meets those standards you've set for us. Yes, yes, indeed. And one theme I see in both of these is people think we're fair and, and and all this. But to me, sitting on the other side of the mic, this is just how I am. And I dare say this is just how you are, Dave. And I guess it resonates with people. Yeah, I mean, to, to sort of you know look behind the curtain for a moment, we don't sit here and plan a particular vibe or a particular tone or no. hey you know get get together offline and go right this is going to be our shtick this episode we just <laughs> we just turn the mics on and chat you know we we have our ideas we have a bit of our format and and all the rest of it but but yeah it's just just it's just two blokes chatting yeah we're, we're seven years into this now so it is just a case of just turning the mics on and seeing what happens it really is <laughs> yes but look enough about us let's talk <laughs> about doctor who yes because it is time for the news and rob we have real news we do we do similar to last month i'm going to kick off talking about doctor who is obviously out there filming and a lot of it, which you see on Twitter, and some people say they're getting spoiled by this, but I, I think it's it's fair to know that David Tennant is out there filming on the streets. Uh, we're seeing more of this coming up on Twitter. Fans are standing behind blockades, Dave, filming with their phones, and we're getting little snatches of Dave sort of running about these <laughs> these locations. But one very interesting thing that happened was the announcement that Neil Patrick Harris has come on board for the new series, or I shouldn't say new series, new uh, special. And he's possibly, Dave, the Celestial Toymaker. Yeah, so look, we know for a fact that Doctor Who is filming. We know for a fact that it has been announced that Neil Patrick Harris is guest starring in something yes, as yes. someone. Yes. Uh, beyond that, it is, of course, speculation. But but let's let's not bury the lead here. Dookie Hauser is in Doctor Who. <laughs> like Neil bloody Patrick Harris. Like, you know, big name, big name. Yeah, yeah, massive, massive name. Uh, you know, a, a whole new generation come to know him through uh, How I Met Your Mother, I imagine. Yeah, he was about the only thing keeping that show afloat by about by about the fourth <laughs> series from all what I saw. But um, yeah, no, look, I mean, you know, really good actor. He, he's a really impressive person. And every time I've seen him interviewed, he seems to be a genuinely good guy. He was, of course in a couple of episodes of It's a Sin, which was a Russell T Davies production a couple of years ago. Excellent, excellent show. And he was, again, just like, you, you turn onto a show and suddenly there's Neil Patrick Harris mm. and you go, okay, this is this is serious. You know, this is a big deal because uh, he's lending his kudos to it and he has a lot. He's, he's a genuine international star. Oh, absolutely. And another example of Russell reusing his stars too. It is a very good example of that. Yes, that's a very good point and and so look you know more and more speculation is flowing out there we are now in this interesting period where lots of news articles and twitter takes and emails go around that say i've heard this or i've seen this 
or I saw something that looked like something and therefore it's this, mm. and suddenly that's taken as gospel. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it turns out to be the truth and sometimes it's probably been helped along by a leak, deliberate mm-hmm. or otherwise, from the production team. Sometimes you sit there and go, this is just not true, like and then it turns out not to be. Um, so we're in that really fun time, but yeah, Doctor Who is being made again. Yeah, and and look, RTD is adding to this as well. Again, someone might say, "Oh, that's spoiling me," but this is RTD out there. He tweeted, Dave. I don't know if you saw it. An image of let me get it right, a Raxacorocophalopatorian. I didn't see that. And right. uh, okay, now is that a official announcement or is that a tease? I take it to be they're going to be filming on the streets with one soon, so he's giving a bit of a heads up. Yeah, and and again, if that's the case, is this a flashback? Is this a cameo? Is that the big bad for part or all of a special? We don't know. That's kind of the fun of it. But yeah, yeah, it's just for the fun seeing these things thrown out there. Yeah, I, I do find it fun. I, I'm on the side of the fence that I don't like to be spoiled on major things, but knowing that a certain enemy is in a story, knowing a Dalek is coming up in a story, or, or knowing who the guest actor is, those to me aren't really spoilers. I, I can live with that. Telling me the, the actual script <laughs> and the plot lines, that would be a spoiler. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people have been speculating about who Neil Patrick Harris is playing. The Celestial Toymaker is a idea that's been thrown out there a lot and people seem to have latched on to. Uh, I did point out to a couple of people in Twitter conversations, he doesn't have to be playing any recurring character. He could be a whole new thing. And I'm going to put, though, if if it's going to be a recurring character, I'm putting my $5 on the Dream Lord. Oh, wow. That's... That that could be true. Uh, I guess, though, that the rumour is coming from an outdoor set that they built, which was like a curio shop of a toy maker. Like the word toy maker was literally on the shop, and that's why people have gone hard on that one. Which could be related to Neil's character, or it could be a little Easter egg that they've thrown in there. And we, 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 will, we will mention Kenobi at the end of the show, I'm sure. Mm. And um, that's an example of a show where they've really got into throwing all these little Easter eggs into the set and the background or little things that you might just see in passing, like, oh, that's Luke's spaceship from Star Wars, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, they even do that in the Doctor Who animations. They'll put, like, wanted posters with the Delgado Master in a Troughton episode or something. Yes, that's very true. Very Mm. true, yes. Mm. So it does happen. It does happen, but look, lots of speculation going on out there. If you want to know more, very easy Google and Twitter searches will, I suspect, get you there quite quickly. And um, we won't go any further because we don't quite know how much further people want us to go. So we'll (laughs) we'll leave it at a respectful medium, I think. I think so. Uh, A piece of news from me. We do like at the Doctor Who show to keep abreast of Blu-ray box sets and Target books now the season 22 blu-ray has left the shops people in the uk have got their copies Mm -hmm. my copy is somewhere over mongolia by about now i think um (laughs) mine too dave i ordered off zavi this time yes so you know maybe our copies are going to get stuck in the Suez canal again or no or something but but look they are on their way no news yet as to what the next one's going to be though no, but you'd have to assume it's the uh, Davo series because they had filmed all those uh, documentaries for it before, I think, COVID even happened. Oh, that's true. That is true. Yeah, so I'd like to think it's that, but no, they haven't actually announced it, no. 
no, so we're waiting to see that. But what I did want to talk about is that we mentioned many, many months ago that there were some Target novels coming out. They are, in fact, now about to hit the shelves. They'll be out in the next couple of weeks by the time you hear this. Mm-hmm. And just to remind our listeners who, who may have forgotten or who didn't hear before, we have got The Stones of Blood and The Androids of Tara, mm-hmm. both new novels written by the show's author, David Fisher, uh, rather than the Terence Dix adaptions that came out in about 1979. Mm. So that's exciting to get David Fisher's take on, I, th- I think, two fantastic stories. Uh, we have two New Who stories, The Eaters of Light by Rona Munro, which I've said for a long time is one of my highlights of the Capaldi era. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really awesome story, and, and I'm a big fan of Rona Munro's writing, so I'm really looking forward to that. And The Fires of Pompeii by James Moran which also will be interesting. Apparently, the Zygon invasion inversion is on the way, but is not going to be part of this set. Mm, well, that doesn't bother me at all. doesn't bother me at all. I was, <laughs> I did put up on Twitter uh, last week before I realised this was being delayed, saying, look, I've, I've gone and pre-ordered the other four because I'm really keen to get them. Mm-hmm. Now I have the, the fan question of, do I order the Zygon invasion inversion? Because... I don't like the story. I think it's quite a problematic story. I don't think it's mm. a good story. I'm very unlikely to get around to reading it. So do I spend $18, $19 on buying a book I know I'm unlikely to read, knowing, however, it would be the only Target book <laughs> that I would not own and my set would be one book incomplete? I think that fan gene will kick in, Dave, and you'll know the answer. <laughs> I will, but look, it hasn't come out yet, so the, uh, the answer has been put off a little. Mm, very good. I might keep going with short topics, if I may. Yeah, why not? Uh, so, look, one and a bit from me. I'm throwing the bit in extra to our run sheet, Rob. So, you know, flying by the seat of our pants here. <laughs> here we go. Uh, uh, look, the main one that I wanted to mention is for my birthday at the start of the month. And happy birthday to you, Rob, since we last spoke, because we both had Gemini birthdays in the last few weeks. Yes, we did. Happy birthday, Dave. Thank you. Uh, so, for my birthday, I got a couple of items. The... Uh, Terence Dix collection books, which I've yet to have a look at, mm. but I also got the JNT production diaries, and I have started working through this. Uh, to me, it's not a book that you sort of sit down and read cover to cover all in one go. Certainly, I haven't done that, but it's it's one that I've dipped in and sort of read a year here and there when I'm in, in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. It is significantly more interesting than I expected it to be because I sort of thought it was going to be basically almost a transcription of the diaries and production of uh, the JNT era. Right. But, but what the author has done is gone beyond that and taken all of this paperwork, uh, receipts that were put in for expense reimbursements, production documents, all of JNT's movements, all this sort of thing, and put it all together to give us much more of a story about what it was like to be JNT making Doctor Who. Mm. When he went and started meeting with these people, and you, you can follow, therefore, the story of he got a cab to go and meet with this writer and or this director, and then a couple of weeks later, they commissioned a script from this person, and the story goes on. Yeah. So it's really fascinating to see that. It's, it's fascinating to see the foibles of the industry at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, any time JNT wanted to go to the opening night of a show in the West End, he could say, well, I'm checking out the new acting talent on the scene and just reimburses the cost of it, which, you know, wow. it's one of those things that, yeah, it's legit, but it doesn't sound it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> borderline. <laughs> very borderline, but also just the 
the atmosphere and the politics of what was going on, mm. particularly with, with the unions, uh, equity in particular comes out as something of a villain in this book because they're just so intransigent and difficult. It feels like for the sake of being difficult, yeah. uh, threatening to basically shut down the filming of State of Decay because Matthew Waterhouse's equity card hadn't quite been renewed exactly on time the right way. You know, really just technical stuff. <laughs> In triplicate. <laughs> yeah, just, just, yeah, really technical bureaucratic stuff. And, go- and JT's going, this, this guy's a, a lead actor. We're, we're, we're halfway through shooting a story, is And they're like, well, sorry, but, you know, we'll shut you down if you keep filming with this guy. And mm-hmm. so they've got to rush and get his card fixed. And you just go, what is the mentality? Yeah, well, even as kids, we'd hear about them, you know, shutting down the studio at a certain time of night, like 10 o'clock or 10.30 or whatever it was, you know, even if they're in the middle of a scene. It's like, this is mad. Have the extra 10 seconds. What's it going to hurt? Yeah, and, like, I get the union would see its role as being, well, the moment you say, okay, we can let the 10 p.m. deadline slide a little, you're exploiting the workers or getting overtime from them unpaid and all the rest of that. But, yeah, like, isn't there a little bit of a human thing that just goes, if we've got three more lines of dialogue to go before you turn the lights off, give us the three more lines. Yeah, and don't tell me someone didn't take an extra 10 seconds at lunch or something, so it all kind of works out in the end anyway. Yeah, or, you know, if Matthew Waterhouse's renewal form is in the post, just let him out. You know, he's going to be an equity member. He's paying his dues. (laughs) You you don't need to be dicks about it. Yeah, Um, yeah. You know, the only dicks needed in the Jane's era is Terrence dicks. Exactly right. So look, it, it has been it has been fascinating to read, and that's my little my little rant, my little insight into Britain in the eighties. Some may disagree with me and and take the other view. That's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I'll throw in that uh, our mates over at Forty Two to Doomsday had an interview with the author uh, just recently too. So they did, and I must admit I didn't listen to it because, yet because I have waited to read the book first, so I must go back and listen ah, to that. Ah, yes, yes. Well, there's your reminder. I have listened to it. I thought it was very good. Uh, speaking of our mates from 42 to Doomsday, I'll drop in my half a, a, a note here. Myself, uh, half of 42 to Doomsday, uh, my colleague from Spacefall and a couple of our friends have booked our tickets to go and see the Peter Cushing movies in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, the uh, the word went round our chat group the Astors screening, the dialing movies, who's in, and a lot of people were in. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Oh, wonderful. I've I've got no one to go with up here to something like that, Dave. Oh, you can take your wife. Uh, I'm not sure she'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, I just want to do a quick plug for another podcast. This is a podcast called We're All Stories in the End from Ian Martin who uh, has contributed to this show in the past. He did an excellent Doctor Who A to Z, which unfortunately ended around the letter S or T or something like that. (laughs) He never finished it. Ian, what are you doing? No, Ian is a lovely guy, and he is tweeting exclusively about this podcast from at Broad and Deep on Twitter. Uh, The first episode is out now with a bunch of people talking about their experiences with Doctor Who, New Adventures, and the Eighth Doctor Adventures. That's the whole shtick of the show. And Dave, you and I are both on that first episode. Yes, there I was stuck in a ridiculous traffic jam on the Monash Freeway, driving into work in the morning, listening to this podcast, and there was Rob. There I was. There you were. (laughs) Surprise! And and surprise, surprise, you were talking about the Eighth Doctor Adventures. Of course I was. The, the, The episode that I keep promising to do on our show and have never done. 
yes, so look, this is a new podcast we have both been involved in the introduction of. I understand Ian's going to have a book of the episode and a guest of the episode to go on from here. Mm. Uh, the next two are Alien Bodies and All Consuming Fire, and I am halfway through rereading All Consuming Fire to... Uh, uh, in, in preparation for that episode, I don't think I'm going to get Alien Bodies read before that one comes out, unfortunately. But I, it is an excuse to go and read it. At Broad and Deep on Twitter, where all stories in the end on your podcast feed. If you're interested in the Wilderness Years books, mm. or you just want to hear us wherever we turn up as cameos. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking that we're probably the biggest hook on that show, but, but yeah, hey. You know, never know. I, I've got a comment on the Alien Bodies episode. I know that that's in there. Oh, excellent. No, I, I haven't mm. done Alien Bodies, but I will get all-consuming fire in it. Yeah, lovely. Excellent. Well, main topic time. Yes, here we go. So, baddies we want to bring back. This, I think, Rob, came from the fact that we've taken Doctor Who classic teams and put them into new stories and mm-hmm. new Who teams and put them into old stories. We've taken Doctor Who teams and put them into television Doctor Who and put them into the movies. Now we're taking Doctor Who and putting it back into Doctor Who, which, which seems <laughs> a, right. it seems a, a logical apotheosis of this this genre of mix and mixing and matching. But look, in, in all seriousness, there are a large number of baddies described however you want: monsters, villains, wicked, nasty people, um, slightly off people mm-hmm. uh, that that we think we'd like to bring back. It's a topic that often comes up in. Doctor Who, I think not a month goes by on Doctor Who Twitter where someone doesn't say, who's the monster you most want them to bring back next season? Yeah, yeah. And so we're riffing on that. Now, Rob, as I put my list together, Mm -hmm. I sort of found that these were bunching up into a few similar categories. So maybe I will sort of uh, bounce us through the groups that I've got, see if you've got things that fit into that or not, and then if you've got something else at the end, we we can go on, on with that. Can I know them up front? Like, you know, what are they? What are your categories? Sure. Okay. My categories are yeah. better SFX, yeah. story-based, okay. prequels, yeah. planets, yeah. and people. Right. Uh, look, Rob, I've sprung these categories on you. So yeah. uh, to be fair, which one would you like to start with? Well, hold that thought, Dave. I want to say one thing before we begin too. Please, please. Because I want to say before we begin that I think there are, well, actually, I know there are going to be examples of baddies here that have probably already come back in things like Big Finish or BBC audios or short stories or whatever. And I don't want to get bogged down in that. I'm not sure about you, Dave. I want this to come across as how the average Who fan sees and thinks about this stuff on telly. And I reckon the average Who fan doesn't listen to Big Finish and things like that. I mean, good grief, less than 20,000 people buy Doctor Who magazine. It's the hardcore part of fandom that I think does this stuff is really small. So, yeah, if, if I say something in my bits and they were in an audio or a short story and they've already come back in that sense, I, I might already know that or I might not know it and I just don't care. This is all about stuff coming back to TV for mine. What about you, Dave? Uh, Yeah, look, there might be a couple of times I will reference something because I am aware and it sort of has has fed my interest. But if if that's not particularly relevant, then no. And and look, I certainly don't know an exhausted list of... Exhausted? Maybe that was a pun. Exhaustive list of big finish stories that have... uh, 
have come out and what's been featured in them. So, yeah, I, I, I think I will generally not know most of them. <laughs> Very good. Well, that was just my little spiel for the, for the start. I'm good to go. Well, which category should we dive into, Rob? I would like... Planets for ten points, Dave. No? This is this is like it is a very game show. <laughs> Planets for ten points. So there were a couple of examples where I thought it's less about me wanting to bring back the villain or the monster, so much as me wanting to use that to bring back a world. And mm. uh, and and I think that that's that's an interesting way to get into this. So the two planets I had, and I'll go into each in a bit more detail in a moment. Uh, Vortus and Kaldor City. Mm-hmm. Now, Vortus is, of course, from the web planet and would, of course, mean bringing back the Zabi, the Monoptera, the Larva Gums. And I think that would be a really interesting thing to do. But I also think it would be really interesting to go back to Vortus and see this planet as it is 100 years later or 50 years later after the Doctor's cleared the right way, the, uh, the Animus, and allowed the forests to grow back, uh, allowed nature to sort of revolve uh, mm-hmm. or re-evolve, and then to see how they would do the Monoptera and the Zabi and, and all the creatures that go into there, the Optera as well. Because, it, you know, it, it is famously that, that Doctor Who story where nobody appears as a humanoid other than the, the regular TARDIS crew. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's worth revisiting. And, and of course, look, Caldor City, why wouldn't you bring back the robots of death? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A no-brainer there. Yeah, you've got a whole society. So, you know, we've done the robots looking very cool and sinister on a sand mine. Let's do them back in Caldor City. Yeah, no, that's very, very good. I have uh, I have my list of my, my main picks. I also have some special mentions where I have less to say about them. I think one of my special mentions ties in here, and that's the Chameleons. Because oh, wow. yeah, I think I think there's a lot you can do with a shape shifting species in general, and it would seem a no brainer to do something again with these guys from the faceless ones. And I'm going to tie it into your planet idea here because obviously they're the result of something going fantastically bad on their planet. So I'm just riffing now. I don't know whether you do something before that happened on their planet or whether it's just set on their planet, and we just explore more of that side of things rather than, you know, kidnapping teenagers on package holidays in the 60s. Yeah, that's a really interesting one, because obviously there's a lot more you could do now with that, with present-day production values. But but also, famously enough, I think we we brought this up when we uh, talked about the DVD release. Mm. It is that story where the Doctor, having foiled the villain, says, oh, look, uh, maybe I could possibly, perhaps if I get bored, think of some way to kind of help you. Actually, no, I'm just going to bugger off. You're on your own now. Um, sorry I fooled your plan, but uh, you're, you're stuck as whatever it is they're stuck as. Yeah. And the idea that they'll go, well, hang on. <laughs> We're just meant to sit here now. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, what, what, what would be their next plan? Or, or you're right, you know, what, what, what do they... What do they do? Do they take people back to their home planet? I, I don't know. But, yeah, there's a lot of potential for the chameleons. Mm. And a second one here, and this was one of my main picks. I'll throw this into planets. And that's the Sycorax. Because oh. I'm genuinely surprised these guys, you know, are confined to a Christmas special. Because they've got the whole voodoo blood magic thing going on, which is fascinating. Because they're also really high tech as well. 
you know, I think if someone sat down and really fleshed these guys out, they could make for a really interesting story. Because at, at the present, it's all surface stuff that we know. You know, the look of them, the blood magic. They've got those whips that disintegrate people. They've got that bloody big spaceship, you know, and then Harriet Jones says bugger off and blows them up. They're a kind of villain that just fulfilled what needed to happen in that story. And then they were, they were shuffled off. But I think if we flesh them out, if we land on their planet... And we're on this planet with these voodoo blood magic dudes. That could be a really interesting story to flesh out, I think. I was going to politely disagree with you for a bit there, Rob, and then you actually mm-hmm. took my point, my rebuttal point, and, and owned it. Oh, um, did which, I? <laughs> you, you, you did, because when you put it to me a moment ago, oh, that would be cool. Then I thought, actually, there's there's really nothing to the Sycorax. They're, mm. they're, they're very, very shallow. They're very one-dimensional. And, and look, I, I guess the point you're making is, could they be fleshed out? And yeah. the question I'm asking is, could they be fleshed out? And it might be one of those ones where you sit down and go, actually, yeah, there's this whole backstory of the civilization and, and the way it sort of works that we can kind of go into and that would be really interesting. Or it might be one where you sort of sit there for two minutes and go, no, these guys actually don't work as a mm. society. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of the Klingons in Star Trek, where when you actually stop and think about it for a moment, you go, how does this society function? Yes. You know, everybody's a warrior. Everybody's killing each other to be promoted. It's all about honour and ceremony. And Who actually goes and makes sure that the water turns on? Who actually mm-hmm. keeps the power on? Who builds the spaceships? Um, who sells birthday cakes. I don't know. You know. How does Klingon society function? And I kind of wonder if the Sycorax is going to be a bit like that when you look below the surface and go, no. But maybe... There's but that's like, the challenge. That's though. the challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As I said, you, you, you took my rebuttal and you owned it. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah, so that's that's very cool. Hmm. Um, I might pick the next category. Sure. And this this was a an obvious starting point for me, I think, when I was putting my mind towards what we might do with these categories, and that is the better special effects category. So I was looking at a monster that I particularly want to bring back because I want to see it done with 2020's production values, where I think the concept is interesting or good, but just ridiculously let down by the budget of the time. Mm -hmm. And the two that I've come up with are the Wirren and the Vardant. Okay, now, the Wirren were an excellent monster. They are terrifying. They are creepy. There, there is, I think, nothing scarier in Doctor Who than possession. And that idea of being infected by the Wirren, being turned into the Wirren, I mean, it is some of the most horrific stuff that Doctor Who has ever did. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I, I mean, that, that, that hard cut that Hinchcliffe had to make in episode three, where it's, it's not even subtle. It's very clear that things are getting a bit nasty. Cut, suddenly the scene's over. You're like, what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that is about as nasty as who got. So they are yeah. a ve- very effective concept. And the idea of them being sort of wiped out by man as man was exploring the galaxy does have very Starship Troopers vibes to it. Mm, yeah, it does. It and, really does. Yeah, it, it really does. This idea of, you know, the, there's this planet of bugs that are just sort of doing their own thing and they've got their nest and the rest of them and humanity comes along and says, I'm sorry, get out of the way. We need to build a car park there. And suddenly <laughs> it's on for young and old. That's a really good question. But, you know, you could do the Wirren as CGI creatures really, really well now. Now, I'll get to my second one, but do you have any to drop in here, Rob? 
Oh, I certainly do, Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the first one is going to be a throwback to earlier in the episode. And that's Raxacoracophalopatorians. Oh. And I know what some people out there might be saying, like, oh, Rob, what a, <laughs> what a safe guess now that RTD is probably bringing them back. <laughs> but no, in all honesty, I've had a bit of a turnaround on these guys for a few years now. Basically, in the Eccleston era, they were a bit jokey, all the overacting, the farting, the general look of things. And especially the CG version didn't shout to me, this is a great villain, let's bring him back sometime. And I don't think that's unfair to say, because how often have they been brought back? You know, they might have been in the background of that Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe rip-off scene where Smithy's being dragged to the Pandorica and all the aliens are lined up watching him being dragged into it. But aside from that, they haven't come back in their own show or anything like that, their own story. So... I read a couple of years ago a novel called The Monsters Inside. It's an NSA novel, a new series adventure novel. It's an Eccleston story. And I thought, holy crap, these guys are scary AF. I I won't be spoilerific for such an old book, but I'll say it's really violent and graphic. And while that might not be everyone's cup of tea, when you're dealing with things that make skin suits out of people, essentially... That's a pretty horrifying thing, and I think it needs to be part of the story. You know, they, they, these things just eviscerate you, Dave, and I think if you brought them back and just leaned a little more into the horror of that and made them scary rather than farting and, oh, let's unzip my forehead and have a bit of a giggle types, I think they could be a really, really strong villain, and I'm tying it into your better special effects because one of the problems with the Raxacorico Fallopatorians, or the Slovene, as most people call them, even though that's just one family, um, was the CG version. The, the man-in-the-suit version was okay, but the CG version looked very ropey back in 2005. I think they could look a lot better today. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I'm going to agree and disagree with you a little bit. I, I think that you're right. They're ripe for exploring. And, and, and you made the point. The Slovene that we've seen are simply one family. Hmm. And what we haven't seen is the rest of the society in Rexco Faralopatorius. So... That actually, I think, is a really good entry into going, are uh, these other Slovene or, or, or their neighbours darker, lighter, different? How does that all work? And, mm. and, and Rob, you talked about how you could make them a really dark and effective villain on their return. But where I was thinking was very Sarah Jane Adventures and saying, if one of the jobs that RTD has over the next couple of years, whether it's as the actual showrunner or a more distant executive producer type, whatever. We don't quite know how that's going to involve. But but one of those things is to really make sure that you're engaging with that young audience and bringing the next generation of kids into the show. Mm. Are the Slovene a really obvious way to to take a leaf out of the Sarah Jane Adventures and and bring them in and go, hey, you know, let's get the six to ten year olds watching so that they're you know watching in five years time as teenagers. Oh, it is. It is without doubt. Everything you're saying there is perfectly true. But I come from the school of thought that you scare the bejesus out of kids. <laughs> and, and that's what I'd like to do. So it's still for six to ten year olds. It's just scary as hell. No, fair enough. So my second pick in this category is the Vardens, who are probably renowned in Doctor Who as the worst realized special effect the the famous tinfoil <laughs> monsters yeah and, and look it is terrible uh, on the dvd they do make them a little bit better in that they're sort of a cgi blur there's nothing, yeah. nothing particularly special about that effect either but <laughs> you're talking about a society 
that A, successfully invaded Gallifrey. Just think about that for a moment. They are able to travel along any wavelength, including thought. Mm -hmm. How do you defend yourself from an alien that can travel along any wavelength, including thought, other than locking yourself in a great big lead-lined office? What do you do then? So I actually think that they are a concept that is ripe for further exploration. And look, the other one that I've just sort of more make a passing reference to is I'd love to see the Megara again done with cool special effects. I think that would be a really interesting concept. Very good. I had a special mention that I think I can leave her in here, which was the Ice Warriors. And the reason I was bringing them up is, you know, because they've been in, in Who quite recently, relatively, just so there could be a scene where there's a, I don't know, an X-ray machine or something that shows that inside that armor, there's a bloody huge, muscly reptilian thing, not the weird little thing from Cold War. So let the retcons begin. <laughs> I want to see an ice warrior out of their gear. And they're actually just this big hulking reptile thing you know maybe special effects could help with that so that's that's how i'm wangling that one in look i was in my 20s i reckon before it really occurred to me that the ice warriors wearing wearing armor i thought they were just walking around naked and that's what they look like (laughs) and and you know the ice lords were a little bit more decent so they they had you know overalls and a cloak um but the others were just walking around i thought that's what an ice warrior looks like so it never occurred to me that was a helmet and armor and everything it was just a monster Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> quite funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Confessions, confessions. Um, <laughs> stories, prequels, or people? Ooh, stories. Stories. So these are monsters, and I've got three in this category, that I want to bring back because of the stories that I would want to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll mention, I think I'll go through these one at a time. The first one that I have are the, the Draconians. Oh, yeah. Now, I think this is a really obvious one to bring back. Uh, the Virgin New Adventures did sort of lean into bringing them back. Uh, DWM, I know, has featured them, or at least individuals from the race on occasion. So they, they have sort of been trying to get back for a while. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what the Draconians were, they were the analogue for the Cold War in space. Yeah. And within that, you had a society that had a certain amount of respectable honour, a very a large amount of misogynistic type honour. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, an interesting blend there. They have a history. They have individuals. So they're, they're characters. They obviously, I mean, they looked good in 1973. Yeah. Uh, they'll look even better now. So I'm, I'm not sort of saying we need to redesign them. The design's pretty good. But you could use them to be, again, that analogue and talk about global politics in the post-Cold War era with the Draconians. And you can have a story that maybe is an analogue of the invasion of Ukraine, for example, or, mm. or, or that is, I don't know, something about the war on terror. Are, you know, are there breakaway draconians that don't want to live in peace and are doing their own thing? There, there, there are stories, if you want to make Doctor Who Hulkian again and political, yeah. the draconians are a way to do it with an awesome monster or an awesome alien race, I should say, who, who we know can be well done and effective and look good. So I, I think I'd love to see the Draconians because of the story we could tell. Oh, that's marvellous. I I will say I've got two for this category. All right, well, let's have you first. This, this one might be... Uh, maybe it's not similar. I'm going to go with the monks here, Dave. The Capaldi monks? Yes. Oh, good. And I'm including these guys for a very specific reason. 
And that's that I think the three-parter they're in is terrible. Mm-hmm. So why would I want to see them back? Because to this day, I still don't fully understand what they really wanted in that story. It was to conquer the earth, sure, but why? You know, I, I still don't get that story. So let's take them because they look amazing. These corpses in monk robes, you know, they're scary AF. Let's see them in a different adventure where the whole thing isn't solved by, you know, oh, the companion's love for their mother, you know, <laughs> whatever it was with Bill. Oh, my God. Flashbacks. Uh, let's see them behind something. So they could be missing for most of the episode until they're revealed as being behind it all and they're causing hallucinations in people who are thinking something else is going on. You know, let's do something with that. Let's take them from a, a great look, a scary look, to actually doing something that the audience can understand and and being something amazing. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see a turnaround with these guys. Yeah, I think that that's a very good call for exactly the reason you've said. Let's let's explore what I think most fans, certainly people we engage with, at the start of that trilogy of God. That's a really cool idea. I'm mm-hmm. really invested in these guys. And then by and the they end, look good. They they look good exactly. So we, we're invested in the idea and the look, and got to the end and thought, huh. What's all that about? What's all that about? Yeah. Um, so let's explore what that's all about. Good idea. Yeah, thank you. My next one I want to bring back for story purposes is the Shalonians. Yes. And they are, of course, the giant... Now, Dave, I, I should pull you up. Shalonian? Chelonian? We've had a lot of different pronunciations of that on a recent podcast. We, we have, and this is going to be an interesting part of the, uh, the Broad and Deep podcast we mentioned where we start actually having to say out loud <laughs> names that we've only ever said in our heads. I've always said it in my head with a soft sh. Right. Um, others say with a hard sh. But, but I say the Shalonians. These mm-hmm. are, for those who aren't aware, they are the giant warlike tortoises uh, yes. <laughs> that, that that went on and conquered a large part of the galaxy, but are also very good at flower arranging, as designed <laughs> by, by Gareth Roberts in The New Adventures. And yeah. look, just from that, uh, you know, why would you not do that? I mean, we now have the technology to do giant walking tortoises. These are an alien race that are hermaphroditic, and there's some uh, interesting stuff you could do with that. But, but they are just really interesting creations. And, and how do you not want to see giant tortoises walking around attacking humans. Like, that's that's just a Doctor Who story that can be both fun and dangerous at the same time. I, I think we're there. They have been mentioned in the show. Uh, you know, they were, they were standing in the background just off camera in uh, one of the Matt Smith episodes, apparently. But, right. yeah, I'd love to see them. That's interesting. Before we get to mine, I'll say your two choices here are two wildly different things because the draconians are so well realized and like you say you wouldn't have to change them all that much because they already look quite good back in the day whereas the chelonians as i will say it um (laughs) are are sort of an open uh, an open book i mean we know what they've got to got to be but they've never sort of had a a starring role in the past to really work on so you've you've picked two quite different concepts here i think uh you wait till you hear my third oh okay should i go with my second but go with your second first I'm going to go here, Dave, with the Sisters of Plenitude. Now, I think the look of the Sisters of Plenitude sold them to me right away, although... You, sorry, I, you're going to have to remind me, Rob. Yes. Who are they? The Sisters of Plenitude are the Cat Nuns, Dave. Thank you. You should have said Cat Nuns. I would have got that. <laughs> okay. I'm going with the Cat Nuns. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because although on one hand they're women in makeup, 
I've always bought into them for some reason. They're absolutely real to me. And I think the whole religious order thing can be really interesting in stories because it's the kind of environment that has layers. There are leaders, there are followers, there are people who might believe different things to other people in the same order. There's conflict there within the ranks before we even get to what they might be actually doing in the story. And in terms of what they're doing, again, you could have them doing something genuinely good or genuinely bad, depending on your point of view, and it can still fit into what they're doing and why they're doing it. Again, think of real-life religious orders doing things which, in its heart of hearts, it thinks is absolutely right and best and doesn't think it's doing a wrong thing at all. But those things can actually be very harmful or... They can have followers who take their teachings or their position on things and then abuse that. I think there's a lot more that can be done with these crazy cats, shall we say, um, because of the religious order nature of them. And I don't know why I think this, Mm -hmm. but in my mind, they work perfectly with Shudi Gatwa. Yeah, okay. I don't know what it is about how I think of his character, given he hasn't been Doctor Who for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. on screen, but there's just something about his, the emotional depth we've seen him portray as an actor and the stories you could tell about a bunch of well-meaning but sinister cat nuns that I think I just see working. And I don't know what part of my gut is telling me that, but something deep down is. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I like that idea though. Uh, yeah, no, I do too. And um, yeah, that's, I'm just, just agreeing and nodding with you on that one, I think. Hmm. Let's just sit back and nod for a bit. That would make terrible podcast. <laughs> terrible podcast, that's right. Uh, look, the third one I had in my story category could have potentially been in my special effects category, but I, I left it here because the first and foremost reason why I've put them in is because of the story I want to tell or see, and that is the Crotons. Great, yep. Now, I think the Crotons are actually a fairly cool design, badly realised. I think the the shape of the crotons and the sound of the crotons is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. They're just obviously made of cardboard and wobble really badly and can't pick up their gun. You know, they're not the best <laughs> executed of monsters. So so there is a, a way in which you go, look, the, the special effects would be uh, an improvement there. But we've only again seen a couple of stranded crotons out there. And this is a fascinating concept, you know, a crystalline-based life form that seems to be quite callous and warlike. Now, what happens when you see a thousand crotons? You know, what do the crotons actually do when they're not just crashed on a planet desperately trying to get away um, with a really terrible plan that, you know, involves, (laughs) you know, finding two high brains by killing the smartest people in the gene pool every year? Um, You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) there's 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 a better story to tell with them, and I would like to see that story. Yeah, good call there. Good call back, too, to the 60s, yeah. Mm. Uh, Prequels or people? Oh, prequels, I think. Prequels. I've sort of got two and a half here. Um, How many do you reckon you're going to get in this category? I I can squeeze in two short ones. Well, why don't you go first this time? Okay. uh, I've jotted down Sutek. A bit of a no-brainer here with such a strong and well-remembered villain, I guess. (laughs) But to get out there and do something clever with him, perhaps in a prequelish way, perhaps leading up to how he ends up 
imprisoned yeah maybe that's that's going to be my tie-in that i'm making on the fly here that's not in my notes at all he is very big and daunting is he too big and daunting for people to tackle would he scare the writers to attempt it or would someone have the cojones to uh to do a prequel and and have him locked up at the end i don't know i came very close to putting sutek on my list so i'm glad Mm -hmm. that you did okay And, and, and look i agree with you i think that the story of Sutek's imprisonment and his defeat by, was it 750 gods or whatever it was? Mm-hmm. Try to do that on a 1970s budget? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Doing it now? I can maybe. see that. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And and is that a story about just the Doctor being overwhelmed and in the end he's, you know, watching gods fight? I mean, that's that's a story in itself. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it'd be awesome, actually. I've got I've got sort of two here because I think they're both the same the same prequel story and the same reason for putting in. So I'm going to do them together, okay. and they are the Exelons and the Exarians uh, from Death to the Daleks and from Colony in Space. Now, in both of these stories, we have a civilization that has collapsed and descended into barbarism and primitivism. Mm-hmm. What we haven't seen is the story of those societies at their peak and how they descended into barbarism and into primitivism. How did the Exelons go from creating this incredible, powerful living city to wearing sheets and chanting at a god? Uh, How did Mm -hmm. the Exurians go from creating the ultimate doomsday weapon and being one of the most advanced civilizations in the galaxy to being the primitives that are living on Exarius by the time the Doctor arrives. I, I think that, you know, you, you wouldn't do both, you do one or the other, and they are very similar stories. I think, again, in an age where Doctor Who likes to lean into um, allegory and politics and warnings about the future, there is a way to tell either of those stories that doesn't have to be preachy but can have a message. I mean, the story about a civilization that creates the ultimate weapon and that is the start of their downfall is a story mm. that would have a, a message and a moral and a meaning if done correctly. The story of the excellence where their hubris leads to their defeat, I, I think would be fascinating. And they're both just such interesting stories from the Pertwee era. I'd like to see them before we met them. Yeah. My question is how much would you lean into sort of telling the audience, oh, yeah, this is something from the Doctor's past and all that sort of stuff, or would it be more sort of airy-fairy throughout the story and then the penny drops at the end that that was those guys? I think with the Exurians, you could really have the penny drop right at the end because there'll be not necessarily any way to sort of signal to the audience or to fans or to the Doctor even that this is actually the same planet that he's visited. And, you know, you wouldn't mm. necessarily draw them together. I think with the Exelons, though, you kind of would have to have the story of the Doctor warning what's going to come and presumably failing because you have to see the city being built. Yeah, true. So that that, that sort of... And, and you know, maybe if you're doing a two-parter, the cliffhanger is the, you know, Doctor comes over the horizon to see this magnificent city and, oh, my God, I recognise that. It's the city of the Exelons you know, as the beacon's being turned on or something. You know, that would be, I think, a really strong moment. And then it's like, how do we try and shut this down before it wipes out most of the civilization and get away? I, I think they're two different tales in that sense. So you could tell it as two different tales. You wouldn't have to have one or the other. You're maybe. right. You're right, actually. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. 
my other one that I'm going to try and just sort of lever in here are the Sontarans. And I know they've been brought back recently and brought back pretty well, but I always wanted something to replace the comedy Strax Sontaran, so I'm, I'm kind of happy with how they were brought back. But I think... We need something new in a Sontaran story, and perhaps doing a, a Genesis of the Sontarans type story could be very cool and warranted. I think they're a big enough monster that we could have that. It's been floated around since at least the 80s, this idea of a Genesis of the Sontaran story. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and, and again, I, I think it kind of leans into what I was talking about before. How do you get a society that becomes so fixated on war that they give up their... Sontaranicity mm-hmm. to do become just a clone race that exists simply for warfare and actually just lose everything that you've been fighting for. Well, maybe it, for most of the story, they are a very um, mixed society and very uh, vivid and, and broad and they do all sorts of things. But whatever happens in that story, it's the final beat of the story. You see how they're going to go down that path. Maybe you don't see them go down it, but you just see that they're going to go down it. Can we bring the Rutans in? I think that would be okay. Good. Well, I want to see a Rutan. As, as the trigger, maybe? Yeah, I'd love to see a Rutan in, in New Who. I think that would be awesome. Mm. Um, a couple of just little ones that I had mentioned here as well. I would love to see the Kraals before the Android invasion. Yeah. See, yeah. see, see them at the height of their powers. And, and again, it's a really cool design that I think done with... 2020s prosthetics would be really interesting. Uh, and another one that looked good in the 70s. It looked good in the 70s, but it was clearly a rubber mask. Yeah. Um, yeah, just up, look like the same look, but just with better tech, is what I'm saying. Yeah. And you mentioned Gabriel Wolf's Sutek. I want his other character back with a prequel. What, Satan? Yes, Satan. <laughs> the Beast from the Impossible Planet. I Look, that is a favourite story, I think, both of us. Somehow you get this incredible power that is trapped on a planet balanced around a black hole with its soul in a jar. Mm. I want to hear that story. Yeah. Yeah, how did that happen? And, yeah. and I just want Gabriel Wolf to turn up and voice it. That, that's all I ask. <laughs> it's very similar to the Sutek story, though, in a lot of ways. It kind of is. I think in both cases you've got to find a way to get this incredibly powerful being captured. That could either be really, really awesome or really, really terrible. Yeah, it can't be the companion loving someone. It cannot be. Oh, let's hope not. <laughs> oh, we're on to people. Yeah. Now, I've, I've got four that I can mention to a little degree here. How many have you got, Rob? I've got two biggish ones. Two biggish ones. Well, um, look, I'll, I'll open then. Okay. The first I've got is someone I would love to see back because he's such a fun character, because of the promise of the character. That is Count Grendel of Gracht. <laughs> nice. Anybody who ends the Ep story with saying, next time, Doctor, I shall not be so lenient, and diving off into a castle moat is just ripe to be brought back. I think that would be a lot of fun. That would be massively fun. I uh, agree. What's one of yours? Dave, I'll, I'll just pull out the big one now. I'll pull the rubber, <laughs> the rubber band. I'll pull the Band-Aid off. I'm going with the Celestial Toymaker. And yes, we're in for two for two territory here with Russell T. Davis (laughs) not just tweeting a pic, but us knowing that Neil Patrick Harris is on set, there's a toy store, and he probably is the Toymaker again. So, oh, Rob, you're so edgy, picking things (laughs) that are already happening. But no, seriously, this goes back decades 
before my previous example of reading an NSA, we need to go back to 1987 here where I'm, I'm a complete mad ferret in my first rush of fandom and all that stuff. And I read the Target novel of The Celestial Toymaker and I thought it was brilliant. And as my fandom went on and I put together that in the Doctor Who universe there are immortals, there are eternals, I mean, just watch Enlightenment. I, it would make me think about how cool these characters are. They're gods, basically, and they're bored. They're like Q on Star Trek, you know? Yeah. And the, just like the Eternals would race their ships and the Toymaker would play games, it just seemed a no-brainer to me that you'd have the character back. And, of course, there was the whole Nightmare Fair thing, which had happened or, or not happened, as the case was, just a couple of years earlier to that. So this character coming back has always been in the sort of back of my head to some degree and now it's actually happening or seems to be happening i think it's amazing but if even if that wasn't happening today on the streets of the uk i would still put the celestial toy maker in this list the celestial toy maker was for me as a kid a story i really latched on to because the imagery was so powerful but also that sort of imagination of a world created by an immortal being who sets up rules just because he wants to. He doesn't have to you know, have a rule where his world's destroyed when he loses a game. That's just the rule he set up to keep his life interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this idea that if you lose the game, you become a playing card or a doll and you're now sort of trapped in his world. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's 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 so much there that's really sinister and creepy. Fortunately, Michael Goff has passed away, so he would not be playing it, given... um. Mm. He's a slightly uh, problematic character. If you want to know more about that, Google Michael Goff, Annika Will's domestic violence, and you can um, mm-hmm. learn the rest for yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I think that's a really good call. Oh, thank you very much. My next one is Morgana Le Fay. Oh, great, yeah. One of the, I think, outstanding villains of the McCoy era, played wonderfully by Jean Marsh, and just that real sense of a character with its own sense of morality and honour and motivation that is interacting with ours, powerful in terms of the, the, the witch-like effects uh, and, and, and um, abilities that she has, but, but defeatable because of the humanity within her. I think there's a really good story to tell. Now, do you do a sequel to Battlefield? Do you do a prequel to Battlefield? I'm open to either, but I think that she's a character that I would like to see back. I would do the prequel so you could sort of understand their relationship a little better. And see the Doctor as... Merlin. Yeah. 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 Um, I might do another one since I've got a couple more from you. That's a good idea because my one is very similar to the one you just did. Excellent. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll carry on. Magnus Greel. Great. Uh, the Butcher of Brisbane... Let's do a story. Let's sell it in Brisbane and let Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas. <laughs> yep. You know, <laughs> the most remote place in the universe, according to Tegan. And, you know, she's not entirely correct because Perth exists, but she's pretty close. Um, <laughs> um, you know, this idea of going into the sort of, you know, World War Six, the, the year 4000, time agents, experiments, oppression, um, nastiness, and just a terrible, sinister villain. I think is a, is a really obvious thing to do. For those who are a little bit concerned about his association with the talents of Wen Chiang, well, it would have no association with China or anything like that. This is him in no. Brisbane in the year 4000. Uh, I just think that he's a really evil, mad scientist. Um, I'd like to see more of him. 
Yeah, good call there. Your big one, Rob. My big one, which is very similar to your uh, your Morgana one, basically, is the Rani. And I think this has been a no-brainer for the longest time. In an era where the constant cry is, you know, we need more female representation to the degree that we made the master and then the doctor a woman. We have had this brilliant female character sitting on the sidelines literally for decades going to waste. I don't get that at all, Dave. Did did Pip and Jane Baker want too much money for her to be used? Did they did they just block her from being used? I can't see any good reason to have this complex Time Lord character, a real match for the Doctor, and someone who you can portray as not so much evil, but just amoral. And that's a really fascinating sort of thing, you know. And being a Time Lord, you can have different versions of her. You can do the whole, let's match what the current Doctor is like thing, or or you could throw that out the window, and if Shooty is going to play it as this really young guy, you could have someone really matronly as the Rani, who just schools him for most of a story before he comes through in the end. There are so many possibilities with the Rani. And again, I go back to that sort of amoral attitude that she has. I think that's a really rare thing that we don't get a lot of in Doctor Who, actually. You know, people are always made out to be really, really evil. I'm going to commit heresy here. And here we go. say that for me, the promise of the Rani has always been stronger than the realisation of the Rani. Uh, I actually don't think Mark of the Rani is a particularly good story. I, I mm. certainly don't think Time of the Rani is a particularly good story. And, and I think that for all the promise that you've talked about, that premise that you've talked about, Rob, it doesn't really come across on screen in any meaningful way. There's a couple of nice moments. Um, her turning people into the trees is kind of cool, but why? Mm. Uh, so, But don't get me wrong. If you can take the premise and do it right, as you say, the, 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 the series is crying out for a strong female villain. Yes. This is what people want. Yeah, why aren't it. we doing I, it? I get it. I absolutely get it. Yeah, it's amazing. We, we sort of dance around it and, and invent other things to fill the, the, the void when this character already exists. And, and the first two stories might be a bit duff, Dave, but this is the opportunity to do the character right because the building blocks are all correct and everything that people want today, oh, it's a no-brainer. Look, if I'm bringing back the Crotons on the promise they're going to be better, you can certainly bring back the Rani. You know, that's, Thank you very much. That's only very fair. Uh, look, someone who just came into my mind then when you're talking about the desire for strong female villains is Cesare of Diplos. Um, yes. You know, this this master criminal, I think, would be a really interesting character to bring back. Uh, so I'll have her. But look, my final one is a new series reference. Rob, you picked this a month ago. I want to see Adam brought back. This guy... <laughs> this guy... <laughs> This guy was brought into the TARDIS to be a companion. He, for avaricious reasons, for, for pure greed, he messed that opportunity up. He was then abandoned by the Doctor with a hole in his head in the year 2020 or something. Yeah. Um, let's see the next part of that story. How bummed were you when I picked that a month ago? So annoyed. I almost dropped him <laughs> off the list just to so say you couldn't have the I told you so moment. Uh, but I popped it in there right at the end. Look, I do genuinely think that Adam is one of the standout reasons why I like that first series. I think that idea of a, first of all, a male companion done really quite well. But again, a companion who messes up the opportunity. Mm. I think he's really interesting. And the way the Doctor abandons him just sets up the the, the, the next part of that. 
Yeah, I just think that's a, a no-brainer for me. Yeah, might have to be played by a different actor. Yeah, the actor's um got issues, hasn't he? Um, yes. I, I don't really remember the details. I just know I've read that, yeah, he's um, persona non grata now for what mm-hmm. I believe are valid reasons without remembering the specifics. So, yeah, well, um, again, I imagine if you want Google, we'll, we'll, we'll answer those questions. Yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have any, Rob, that haven't fallen into my categories? No, I managed to get them all out. Nicely done. Thank you very much. We have covered over 20 different baddies in that list. Yes, we said this wouldn't be like a little list makers episode, and we've delivered. No, absolutely. And, and look, it has, for me, and, and I think what was the intent when we were thrashing this out, it has really highlighted a number of ways you can do this and a number of ways you can bring villains back for reasons that are beyond just let's bring them back or let's see them done with new special effects. You know, there there are stories linked to most of these that I think is more what I want to see than the baddie itself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I agree. And, you know, getting into some of those planets or prequel ideas, I think is a big part of that because sometimes these baddies come from a, a bigger culture that might be doing other interesting things or you might see why they turned out the way they turned out or, gosh, we could sit here all night sort of hashing out story ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And you can do a story about the Draconians without the audience requiring any knowledge whatsoever of Frontier in Space. Oh, hell no. That's it. But it would, of course, be a bonus to those of us who have been watching the show for a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the beauty of this kind of stuff. You know, it suits everybody. It does. But, I mean, you know, I think we're very aware this is a very large fantasy on all our parts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but fantasy's fun. It is. It really is. Rob, time to bring us to the wrap-up for the episode, which means we go on to listeners' emails... I believe you have one for us. I do. This comes from Ben PM. He says, Hello, fellas. Your chat on the Chibnall Doctor Who magazine piece inspired me to email in, as I have a lot of love for the Jodie era of Doctor Who. I think a lot of criticisms aimed at these last few years have been based on comparing expectations of what will be seen against the reality of what ends up on screen. The Last Jedi suffered a very similar amount of internet hate, with fans complaining that the movie they imagined in their heads wasn't what they saw on screen. And I honestly believe The Last Jedi is easily one of the best Star Wars films to date. I hope Chibnall's era gets a well-deserved re-evaluation among fans in years to come, as there is a lot to praise, including Jodie owning the role from her first episode, and the production values making Who look better than it ever was. As far as the will-this-go-anywhere plot threads, this is not new to Doctor Who at all and can be a lot of fun. Just look through Big Finish's back catalogue and you'll remember how many dangling plot points or one-off characters are given a massive timey-wimey backstory or fans write stories or we get Doctor Who novels, Doctor Who's daughter, anyone. Anyhow, even though we clearly disagree on a lot of things, I enjoy your podcast. Cheers from Ben PM. Thank you, Ben. That's a really interesting, and I, I found a really thought-provoking email. And, and and coming at the era from a different perspective to the uh, perspective I've come at, and, and and Rob, you've come at from a one that's mm. closer to mine than, than than Ben's, but 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 certainly different. And again, uh, look, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that the expectations we have as fans is always high, and sometimes does set the era up to fail in our minds. And I think that is a problem. Uh, look, I, I agree that there are some very strong aspects to the Tibnal era. I have said 
on a number of occasions now. There are six, seven, eight, nine stories in that era that I'm really a genuinely a big fan of, and I'm really glad the era exists. I think Jodie at her best is really good, even if I don't think there's the consistency there that I want to see. Some of her companions have been fantastic, others we haven't gelled with. Um, I agree there's a lot to love in the era, even though I do think that some of the flaws that you and I have each picked with the era uh, are valid. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but absolutely, I think that it is going to be fascinating to come back to the Chibnall era in four, five, six years' time and see how it holds up as a adventure without the expectation of it being the new piece of Doctor Who loaded onto it. I think all eras of Doctor Who get reevaluated all the time, and the ones that weren't so popular at the time usually fare a lot better. I'll make that call now. Yeah, absolutely. And we discussed in the short topics of our last episode that DWM interview with Chibnall where he did sort of say that actually this was not the Babylon 5 Moffat-style story arc that we kind of thought it was going into it. And Mm. it was just a sort of a series of adventures being done on the fly. And I think that, yeah, if I'm approaching the Chibnall era not looking for that bit of arc and not going, where does this lead us? This is a clue to this. What does this mean? Just going, huh, no, there's none of that. Let's just enjoy this for the adventure it is. I probably will get more out of it. Yeah, and look, I'd agree on the number of good episodes. There's at least half a dozen for me out of the 26, I guess, regular episodes and a few specials on top of that. I think there's at least half a dozen. Yeah, and you know, there were two or three of of, um, Flux that I enjoyed, so that's probably added to my... My sort of ongoing list. Yeah, absolutely there are. Mm, Yeah, very good. Love your email, Ben. Yeah, no, thank you for taking the time to um, politely disagree with us. That's fine. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Now, Rob. Yes. Last night, I watched the season finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I watched it too last night, Dave. I have many, many, many thoughts on this series. (laughs) Why does it sound like we're reading from a script when we're not? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I think we both know where we're going with this. <laughs> I am keen to do a alternate galaxies on Kenobi in the next week or two. Are you up for that? I am up for that, Dave. Fantastic. So, look, we won't say anything else about that because I think we have got some thoughts to uh, to discuss. We'll do that in a standalone episode. What else have you been watching this last month? Well, aside from Kenobi, I finally, finally, Dave, been watching the new All Creatures Great and Small series. And this oh. is the first, the first series. They've got a second, they're making a third. This is the first series of it I've watched. Is it good? For the first couple of episodes, I was really struggling with people playing characters that I love so much. And they're not the people who used to play the characters. It's not Robert Hardy. It's not Peter Davison. Correct. But in the third episode of the first series, they do the story. And this won't be any spoilers to anyone who's ever watched All Creatures. They do the episode where James goes to that massive racing horse and he's got the big race the next day. But James detects he's got a a twist in the bowel and and he has to put it down. I remember that episode, yes. Yeah, and then Siegfried has to get involved the next day because the owner complains and Siegfried has to do a post-mortem. And we don't know whether James got it right or not. And in that episode, the actor playing Siegfried just knocks it out of the park. The actor playing James knocks it out of the park. Like After he puts the horse down, he actually drives away and, and just has a huge breakdown in his car. It's like nothing Christopher Timothy would have done back in the 70s. And I was like, oh, this is actually good. And I'm starting to buy into these guys being the characters. 
So it was the third episode for me that did it. Excellent. Now, Sam West is Siegfried in this, isn't he? Yes. Yes, yes. He he, he he's, he's an actor I've got huge admiration for. Uh, not for his role in um, Dimensions in Time, which I think was about his first screen <laughs> credit, but uh, um, Cambridge Spies was where he came to my attention and I've, I've loved him ever since. Brilliant. I've also been reading a book, Dave, and I'll mention this quickly. I've been reading the James Bond novel Solo, which, which came out about oh, 2013 or something. I'm just getting around to it now. It's set in 1969 with a mid-40s Bond who fought back in D-Day, that kind of vibe. Like, he has flashbacks to D-Day throughout the story. It's really cool. I'm really enjoying that too. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, look, over the last month, I did binge when it dropped the third and final season of Love, Victor, the spin-off series from the movie Love, Simon. I Look, it, it's definitely a guilty pleasure of mine because I'm you know watching a Disney series about teenagers in high school um so you know i'm not personally relating anymore um but look i do really enjoy it it's quite fun uh and there was a character that was introduced in this season called liam and uh anyone in our audience who who watches love victor i know there's a few if you want to know what i was like in high school liam is a pretty good analog i reckon (laughs) so right uh, intriguing little little piece to drop there i have been watching as each episode drops the boys which mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying, although, look, it's known for its uh, gross, shocking, gore-splattered sure, um, yeah. violence. Um, there was a scene in an episode a couple of weeks ago, I c- literally came close to being physically sick. Oh, wow. I, I actually had to shut my mouth and swallow the bile back down because it was that disturbing and sickening did you have Um, to look away from the screen i had to look away from the screen uh it wasn't to do with blood and gore i will say that it was something else um but it it was pretty full-on but look i've long said i don't know if you'll agree with this rob that forget about the the comics i don't read comics don't know if he's successful in comics but superman to me is about as boring a movie character as there is he's too good too powerful and there just isn't an interesting story to make about that but but having the superman type character in the boys which is of course homelander be the bad guy and he becomes Mm. really the bad guy in season three and you realize he is not good and incredibly powerful that's terrifying yeah it's actually really terrifying the guy who plays him is really really good so i am enjoying season three of the boys I am also enjoying season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. There have been some just absolutely wonderful, fun episodes. I love Star Trek when it's just people at sort of the edge of technology and the limits of what technology can do in that moment, exploring strange new worlds and meeting new life and new civilizations. Like, I really like that part of Star Trek. Mm. They're doing it here. They have also got that balance in the story, right? I mean, we're not... Unlike Discovery, which is sort of just one bleak, depressing arc for weeks on end, these are a series of adventures, and one's a bit dark, and one's a bit light, and one's a bit twisted, and one's a bit fun, and that's just a really fun thing to do. Uh, as I mentioned last time, I have been sending in my feedback each week to the Trek This Out podcast, who are doing basically hot take reviews of Strangely Worlds, as we do hot take reviews of Doctor Who. This has been a fun show to watch. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and just going back to characters who are maybe more interesting when they're evil. I was thinking, yes, in the Superman comics, whenever they do something different with the Superman character, it usually makes him more interesting. But I was also thinking of uh, Angel on Buffy, 
when he goes evil, he's way more interesting than when he's the good guy. And again, because he's such a strong character, he's he's actually genuinely scary because you don't know how you're going to defeat him. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah, good call. Mm. Rob. Yes. I need to ask you this question because I don't know. <laughs> and, and you'll explain, I'm sure, to the listeners why. What's happening on our podcast next month? Ah, yes, because you won't be here, will you, Dave? No, at the time our podcast for July drops, I will be either in London or Berlin or flying between. Nice. Uh, Yes, while you're away, Dave, the cat will play. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get Dylan Rees on the show from the uh, Doctor Who Too Hot for TV podcast. And Dylan has said he'd like to talk about Dennis Spooner. I am a little bit envious that uh, you're going to have that conversation without me. Oh, so, <laughs> because you, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I love the Hartnell and I love a lot of Dennis Spooner. So, uh, look, that's fine. I am going to enjoy, I think, being a audience member for that podcast. So, uh, I look forward to on a train somewhere in Poland or mm-hmm. on my way to uh, to Troy. I uh, look forward to listening to that conversation. Marvellous. I'm looking forward to having it. This is something Dylan's come up with. I mean, obviously, I, I know who Dennis Spooner is. I can talk about Dennis Spooner. But Dylan, I, I'm thinking Dylan might even lead this episode. So let's see where he takes it. Excellent. Well, look, I will be back in two months' time. But in the meantime, we will have, hopefully, a Kenobi Alternate Galaxies yes. in the next week or so. We'll have a Primary Sources. We'll have a List Makers coming up. All the usual stuff. And... Who knows? You may take a walk in the Black Forest. No, no. Um, wrong, wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. Um, yeah, that's all I've got to say. Yeah, me too. This was a fun episode, Dave. It, it was. It, it, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I hope it was enjoyable for you, the listeners, as well. Mm. But until then. I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we will speak again very soon. Farewell. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Doctor Show. With Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>